Are you glad you have a Bible? I, uh, every time I think about Mark, I think about you coming to Valdosta, Georgia, and doing a presentation for us about the underground church. Remember that? And uh, caused a ruckus. And he was dressed up like a Soviet officer, and that was creepy. And uh, you gave me a, a page of a handwritten Bible from a, a young lady in Czechoslovakia. And uh, every time I think about that, I think about how privileged we are to have the Word of God and to have multiple copies of the Word of God. Do you realize how many people all around the world have died for that book that you hold in your hands? And some of them that tried to translate it, uh, think about... Uh, Tyndall that tried to all he all his only crime was translating the Bible into English, and they uh, they uh, uh, executed him for that. And so we we take that for granted. And you probably got four, five, six Bibles laying around your house. Some of them that you go, oh, I remember this one, and some of them that have some real precious notes in them. You got any Bibles like that where it just Every time you open it up, it just feels good, it smells good, and you look at the writing in it. And I've got some uh, Bibles where uh, there are verses of Scripture that I can't think of the reference right offhand. I know it's in 1 Timothy, but my uh, real thing is it's at the top of the right-hand page where the corner is torn. You ever do that? And uh, it's amazing how you get attached to those and... um, how many of you remember Wayne Robinson? Yeah. He uh, had his Bible stolen before he died. And, uh, you know, he's been gone a while now. And uh, somebody got a guilty conscience and said they had had his Bible for all of these years. And they saw his Graceway bulletin and that kind of thing in it. And they brought it back and brought it by. I've got it in my office and... Uh, like to look through it and see those things. The problem is they had it in a car that I think was just fumigated with cigarette smoke. And every time you open up that Bible, it makes my whole office smell like I've, you know, been uh, lighting one up or having a joint or something. I don't know. So uh, if you ever come in my office and go, man, pastor's taking advantage of that medical marijuana law. It's Wayne's Bible. We'll just, I blamed Wayne for a lot of things, so I'll just keep on. And uh, miss, miss people like that. Miss people like that. Uh, I was thinking today about uh, uh, what we were going to be looking at. And before I had my angiogram, I had this picked out. And yet, for some reason, I'm going to blame it on all the medicine they gave me. I couldn't remember what psalm we were looking at. I couldn't remember what I had done. And I got ready to dive into it. And I looked at it and I go, I've already got this picked out and outlined. When in the world did I do that? And there's another thing Gary texted me uh, a while ago. I don't have the Sunday school audio done for this week because until he texted me, I didn't even think about it. So uh, blame it on the medicine. Right? Yeah, you're with me. You're with me on that. So uh, I'll get that taken care of, okay? Let's go to Psalm 146, okay? We uh, sang a couple of old songs tonight and uh, this title of this one made me think of an old song that we used to sing when I was a kid that do you remember happiness is the Lord and I remember being at a church where there was a lady that would love to play that song on the organ it was kind of upbeat and happy it kind of sounded like a circus when she played it and uh, she didn't have her teeth in and she was there doing that while she was playing the organ makes me think of that Uh, and I heard uh, at a a certain time in my life preachers kind of say God didn't save you to make you happy. 
And yet, when I grew up and began to study the Bible and studied some of the words, the very word blessed has the idea of happiness in it. Uh, God did not save you to make you miserable. God did not save you to have you walk around and uh, you know, go through all of your trials and have no sense of joy, no sense of purpose, and no sense of happiness in your life, in your marriage, and any of those kind of things so that you could uh, tell everybody, you know, I hope you will trust Jesus and get what I've got. Uh, we ought to have the joy of the Lord, and we ought to have the blessing of the Lord. And whether you look in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the word uh, blessed or blessed has the root of being happy or even one to be envied. And I wonder how many times we walk around in our Christian life where lost people look and they say, I wish I had what you had. Now, we know the only way they're going to be saved is to hear the gospel, and it's got to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. We understand all of that. But just for them watching us in the way that we live, and so many times we talk about things like, well, I have to, or I can't, and we get legalistic about things, and then we wonder why we don't really have any impact, or why no one is asking us to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And I've just got a feeling that in this negative, divided nation in which we live, if we just had some semblance of joy, and if we were happy in our marriages, and we were happy in our parenting, if we were happy in our work, if we were happy with our, in, our, in our neighborhoods, what a difference that would make if people could come up to us and say, what's the deal, and why is it that you are happy in this horrible terrible world. I mean, you know, life is so bad. Uh, here we are walking around fat and sassy. Here we are with money to spend on things. Here we are with technology. Think about what you have in your iPhone and in your computers. And think about the way that we live. Think about how comfortable we are with the seasons changing like they are. We've got some cold weather coming in from what I understand, right? And you know how much it's going to affect me? Maybe walking from my back door to my truck. Because my truck's got a heater in it. I'm going to be okay. And then when I get up here, I'll have to walk. Oh, have to get from the parking lot into the offices. And you know what? They've got heat in there too. And yet we'll complain about it and we'll gripe about it. And yet the truth of the matter is it affected our lives about that much. Unless, unless you have to work utility work. <laughs> Don't you feel sorry for those people sometimes? Unless you have to be outside working or you're a you know, law enforcement or EMT or something like that. I mean, I'll grant you those kind of people and farmers and uh, you know, people like that have trouble. But for most of us, we complain about things where we have it so, so easy. And you know what's going to happen? The seasons are going to change again. I guess it's our climate change. And uh, about March and April... It's going to start getting warm and the grass is going to start greening up and you're going to have to mow again and trees are going to bud out. All that kind of stuff is happening. And we're going to have it nice for a while until the tornado season, you know, comes roaring in. And then we'll complain about that too. And then it's going to get hot and we're going to complain about the heat. And the truth of the matter is, in all of those situations, what do we really have? We've got safety, we've got protection, and we've even got an awful lot of convenience that people just a generation or two ahead of us, they couldn't even imagine and couldn't even dream of. I think about how sometimes with our automobiles, my dad one time, uh, he was 
driving around and he saw a 1939 Chevrolet Coupe sitting out in a field. And of course it didn't run and it was rusty and all of that kind of stuff. And he went up to the people and made them an offer on it. And they said, sure, take it. And he brought it home on a trailer. The reason he wanted it is because that was his first car. Not that particular one, but one like it. And so he took the body of it off and he took everything apart and actually got it running and all of that. And, um, you know, I looked at that car and the first thing I thought of, I said, Dad, if I grew up working on cars like this, I think I could be a mechanic because I could actually figure out what was going on. You open up a hood now and you're like, you know, where in the world is the alternator and what are all these wires? I mean, you know what I mean. And uh, engines are so tight and everything. But that one, man, there's plenty of room under the hood. And you could see the drivetrain. You could kind of figure all of it out because it was simple. What is my point on that? You drive, most of you, you drive in a floating palace. You think about everything you have on those cars, the technology, and even the way that it rides. It's so much different than what our parents or maybe our grandparents would drive in and they'd make trips to California across the Mojave Desert and things like that. Think about how things have changed and think about how good we have it. I was thinking about uh, some of you who uh, have had angiograms. How many of you had one of those? Say amen. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you want to see my scar? Can you see that? That little bitty tiny dot. And some of you have big gashes in your legs and bruises up and down and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought, hey, praise God for technology, right? I'm the beneficiary of that kind of thing. And then I got to thinking about how many people, how many of our ancestors died and they died a painful death and the last years of their lives were so difficult because they didn't know how to fix things that were going on in the heart. They didn't even know what was going on in there. Think about uh, Miss Becky Pig had her hip replaced today. How many people do you know, probably talking to some of you, that would be crippled today had you not been able to get a knee replaced or a hip replaced or different things like that? Think about how marvelous it is that we live in this age. And God has given us so much to be thankful for. And yet, what do you see when you watch the news? What do you hear when you gather even in the hallways or somewhere, even at church sometimes? What do you hear? And I looked at these verses and I thought, hey, we could use a shot of this tonight, right? This is another one of those Honey from the rock type things. Uh, a few weeks ago we looked at, was that 81? Psalm 81? And at the last part of it it says that he gives us honey from the rock. Well, you don't get honey from the rock. And our application of that is God will give you sweetness from some very unexpected places. Very unexpected places. And some of you have run into that. There were situations you dreaded, things you didn't want to go through, things you didn't ask for. And then what did you find when you got in the middle of it? God was faithful and he gave you honey from the rock. Well, this is kind of a honey from the rock psalm here about just being happy in the Lord. But the psalmist, and this is uh, you know, one of the last five psalms in the, in the book, and they're Hallel Psalms or praise Psalms. And it starts and it ends with praise the Lord. In Hebrew, hallelujah. And um, 
We'll read it in English, though. And so let's, let's go through this and just look at what the Lord wants us to do regardless of our circumstances and how we ought to approach the Lord and think about the Lord and how we ought to live. And here's what it says in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in, the, nor in a son of man. Notice that's not capitalized. That's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about a human. Don't put your trust in princes or in sons of Adam, we might say, in whom there is no help. Verse 4, his spirit, meaning the son of Adam that we're talking about here, his spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and in that very day his plans perish happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them who keeps truth forever somebody ought to say amen there who secure or pardon me who executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry the Lord gives Freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who were bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign Forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. And then he ends by saying, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. So I thought about all of the things there about the praise of the Lord. But did you notice when we got in the middle of that passage, those were not very pleasant things. Being blind, being bowed down, being oppressed, being hungry... None of those things really are good, and yet the Lord is involved in all of those things. And uh, the psalmist says that we ought to be praising the Lord, and I think the idea is there we praise Him regardless of our circumstances, don't we? Because we know God rules and reigns that He's working. He may not look like He's working in our eyes, but He's always at work, the Lord Jesus said. And there's never a time when God is idle. There's never a time when God is unaware of what's going on. There's never a time when God is out of control. There's never a time when God has to say, give me some advice. Something's happening here that I don't know what to deal with. He always is in control of all of that and always aware. And we wonder, how do all things work together for good? And you and I will never be able to figure that out. I do think one day we're going to be able to see it. And then we'll have the aha moment of that's how it worked together for good. We just don't have the ability to see everything at once and to see even the big picture. All we can see is where we are and what we're going through. And sometimes it stinks. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's discouraging. But when we get to see in heaven the picture of the tapestry God has woven, then it's going to be a wonderful thing. And in heaven we'll have no trouble praising God even for our difficulties. We'll look and we'll see some of the things we went through and how God worked through that, bringing beauty out of ashes, restoring the years that the locusts have eaten, working all things together for good, and you're not going to have any trouble seeing it then. 
And so we need to learn how to, by faith, see it now and expect it now. God is indeed working, and God is indeed working all things together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to His purpose. Whether we feel it, whether we understand it, whether we see it or not, that's a weapon in our hand to have the praises of God in our mouth. And one of the things that you'll find is as you praise the Lord, not only do you lift up the Lord, but you're lifted up as well. It changes you from looking at the muck and the mire of what's going on on the earth to seeing everything that's going on from God's perspective, the faith and the trust that he knows what he's doing and he does all things well. You're going to confess that one day. You might as well confess it now. And so think about this. Think about this settled conviction that the psalmist had. He did not say, I will praise the Lord when things get better. I'll praise the Lord when I can see his hand moving. Um, I saw a Facebook friend that, uh, no, maybe it was on Twitter, and they said, oh, the Lord just showed up in our church. Man, it was great. And I know exactly what he meant. But when you think about that theologically, what is that saying? I guess last Sunday he didn't come. Does God ever skip church? He's always here because he's everywhere. There are some times that we say, well, God is so good. Well, does that mean that before he was so good, he was just plain good? Just vanilla good? Now he's chocolate good with sprinkles? I mean, what are we talking about there? Think about the times we'll say something like this. Man, I was getting ready to go uh, through a, a, a green light. Somebody ran a red light. They missed me by inches. Oh, God was really with me. Well, what if you had been T-boned? Would God have not been with you? Of course he would have been with you. And so we say some things that give a wrong impression about our God. Sometimes something will happen and we uh, get a good parking spot. Oh, God's so good he's in control. Well, what if you had to walk two miles? Does that mean he's not in control and he's not good? Sometimes we get a good report from the doctor. Oh, God was so good here. Well, what if you had cancer? What if you had a heart problem? What if you had something that was life-threatening, you or someone that you love? Does that change anything? And so David is saying, we don't base what we think about God based upon the circumstances. And his settled conviction was that he was going to praise the Lord. In fact, it's interesting that it starts off... Praise the Lord, like he's broadcasting that. Everybody do that. But then he has to say something else. He talks to himself. You ever heard anybody talk to themselves? Well, psalmist does. Praise the Lord. Who does he address it to? Oh, my soul. Me. The inner being. The real me. And he goes on to say that while I live, I'll praise the Lord. That's just going to be my settled conviction. I'm going to praise the Lord while I live. Now... We don't know exactly who wrote this psalm, but let's assume it was David. And let's look at David's life. I can understand David praising God when Samuel comes and pours oil over him and says, you're going to be the next king. Now, David, as a a shepherd boy at that point, he didn't know what that meant, but it was going to make his life a living hell in, in many ways. Think about that. I can understand David praising God when Goliath falls. I would too. Man, I'd have a shout of victory that, you know, would drown out everyone else. And so did the armies of Israel. That was a great time. 
I don't know that I would really give a shout of praise if my father-in-law threw a spear at me. And it barely misses me. And I'm going, what's going on? What did I do? What's happening? I don't know that I, my praise would be quite so loud if I'm talking to my best friend Jonathan and Jonathan tells me, you've got to go and you've got to go now. I don't know that I would praise the Lord quite as loudly if I were living in caves for about 10 years. 10 years. What happened to Samuel? Where is he? I'd like to punch him in the nose right now. What's going on? You know, your oil's no good. What'd you do? Get it at Walmart? What's, what's happening here? Made in China oil or something? This couldn't be holy anointing oil. Look at my life and look what's been happening to me all of this time. And when the time comes for him to be the king, Saul has been killed in battle, but so is his best friend Jonathan. And David doesn't have the privilege of living his life with his best friend. Jonathan is gone. You think about David being the king. Yeah, I, I suppose he would praise the Lord whenever he's able to unite all of the 12 tribes of Israel. And after reigning in Hebron, he's able to set up the capital in Jerusalem. Man, there's some psalms written about that. That must have been one great, wonderful celebration, right? But I'm not so sure I would be praising the Lord quite as strongly when one of my sons rapes his half-sister. That happened in their family. You think that would disrupt a family? You think that would cause some strife? Well, it did because Absalom, because he's upset with David, he uh, says, if you're not going to do anything, I will. And Absalom murders his brother Amnon. And then Absalom becomes just a, a thorn in David's side, actually trying to take over the kingdom where David has to run for his life. And then David's own son, Absalom, is sleeping with David's concubines as an act of defiance toward him. And David has to run for his life. And then it ends up where David says, when they're winning the kingdom back, don't kill Absalom. And what does his trusted general Joab do? He kills Absalom, and David mourns and laments, Absalom, Absalom, oh, my son, Absalom. I mean, David had a lot of grief in his life, a lot of grief and a lot of turmoil. You think about what it was like when David, kind of in the time when you were supposed to go to war, and he doesn't go to war, and he happens to see Bathsheba, and he commits adultery with her, and then she comes back and she says, David, I've got problems. I'm pregnant. What do you think he was doing then? You think there was much praise coming out of his mouth at that point? Probably not. So he concocts a scheme to have Bathsheba's husband come back from the battle and spend the night with his wife so that they can pass. I mean, he's selling out his own child at this point. I mean, if you think about it, it's not a whole lot different than had he ordered an abortion. I mean, he doesn't want anything to do with this child, and he's going to let it be raised as Uriah the Hittite's child when it's his own child with royal blood flowing through its veins, and uh, he's going to pass it all off. I mean, David had his moments where he was pretty skunky, right? Don't look spiritual, so do you. So do I, right? And you remember what had happened. He had to finally have Uriah put on the front lines, and he's killed. And David goes, and you remember, we kind of looked at Psalm 32. And that time when he didn't confess his sin, he, was, he said, I was like, I was just dry, dried up. All my vitality was gone. 
Your hand, he said, was heavy upon me day and night. Wasn't much praising going on at that time. And yet during that time, during that year that he didn't confess his sin, he was still going to the tabernacle. He would still be doing his kingly duties. I'm sure there were still times when people would say, Hey, David, sing that song again that you wrote when you were a shepherd. And can you imagine David carnal, backslidden, dried up under the chastisement of God, having to stand up there and sing, maybe with his harp, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It was eating him alive. And then one day, Nathan the prophet shows up, tells him a little story about somebody stealing a sheep, and boy, it just inflamed David. That man shall die. You don't execute somebody for stealing sheep. Shows you how, how messed up David's mind was and his heart in that. And you remember Nathaniel looked at him and said, Thou art the man. Do you picture a finger looking at him? Thou art the man. And David runs, runs to the tabernacle and he confesses his sin and we get the beautiful Psalm 51 out of that because the Lord forgave his sin. He said, Restore unto me, remember, the joy of thy salvation. Well, that's what we're talking about here tonight because sin will take that away from you. It'll rob it from you. And David knew the ups and downs of walking with God. Don't just think that David's life was just, you know, skipping through the forest, picking daisies and, you know, looking at birds and having a great time. His life was a hard life. And for everything that you find in David's life that was kind of an up and a high moment, he had just as many, if not more, low moments throughout his life. you got to put the whole thing together. You see, sometimes when we read the Bible, it's easier for us to read about a decade of somebody's life in just a few pages, and we think, well, I could probably do that too. I could probably survive that. I could probably make it through that hardship too. And you and I get so tripped up over the smallest things that don't last anywhere near as long as what David went through. You see, David being a man after God's own heart, it meant that when he went through everything, all of the down times, he came out right with God. He came out walking with God. He came out praising the Lord. And so you and I need to understand that we're going to go through some times that we didn't write the script for, that we didn't pray about, that we didn't ask for, that we never saw happening to us. And yet those things are going to happen. And what are we going to do with those things? Well, the psalmist here tells us it's a settled issue. All the days of my life are going to be marked by praising the Lord. Did you see that? I'm going to tell my soul to do it. And some of you, when your soul is saying, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm upset, I feel like I've been betrayed, I feel like that I've been cheated on some things, you're going to have to talk to yourself. And say, what are you doing, soul? At one point, David does say, why are you downcast, O my soul? He's talking to himself. And in this psalm, the psalmist says, you're going to have to tell your soul to get in line, to get under submission to the Holy Spirit, and to choose to praise the Lord no matter what you're going through or how you feel. Easier said than done, right? 
But it's what we are called to do. This is a settled conviction. Now, if you don't have that as a settled conviction, I can already tell you, you're not going to do it. And you're going to, you know, go through life wondering um, where the joy of the Lord is and all of that. The operative words here, the psalmist says, I will, and I'm going to do it while I live, no matter what the conditions are like. So let me ask you a question for you to consider here. How many people miss out on true happiness because the Lord is only an occasional thought to them? And then it is mainly to complain instead of praise. How am I doing on time? Because my nature, hear me say this, my nature is when I think of God, I think of all the things I want but don't have. I think about all the things that I have but don't want. And I tend to complain. I tend to pray about battles, warfare, wants, needs, concerns, and burdens. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. There's just something that is missing, though, if that's all I do. If all I do is turn to the Lord when things are bad or when I'm ticked off, what is that really saying about me and my walk with God? And it also says this, you old people, you remember the Wendy's commercial with that little old lady? And she looks down and she goes, where's the beef? Can I just ask you a question, Christians? Wednesday night believers, people who walk with God, where's the praise? Where's the praise? Why is it that if we ask for a prayer request, we can hear 10,001 negative things? But if we say, how many of you have something to praise the Lord for? Crickets. Where's the praise? You've got to make a choice that you're going to do that. Number two. Notice here that there's a serious warning. And maybe this is why we don't praise the Lord. Do not put your trust in princes. Or a son of man. You know, I could live for God a whole lot better if I had the right people around me. Now, let's just be honest. It is easier to live for God if you've got the right people around you. Am I right about that? It's easier. It's easier in a group. We're made for that. We kind of have a tribe. And we live like that. And we associate birds of a feather flock together. We do that. It's, it's easier, man. It's easier. And I can remember a time in my life when um, I was in college at Stillwater. And God put about three guys in my life. And we uh, rented a house. And we kind of lived together. And man, it was a whole lot easier not to be drunk when you're around three other Christian guys. It's a whole lot easier not to be partying when you're around guys like that. It's a whole lot easier to read your Bible when you have guys that come up and they said, I, I, mean, I had never been around people like this before. They came up and they said, uh, I was having my quiet time and there was something I saw in there that I want to share with you guys. I'm like, who does this? And I lay on the couch listening to one of them talking about the coming of the Lord. And that was when the conviction about my salvation, that I can pinpoint it, that's when it started. 
Always before that, yeah, I know I'm saved and I could give all the right answers and do all of that, but I wasn't born again. It was right then when one of my roommates was talking about it and my thoughts were conflicted because on one hand I'm going, I wish he would hurry. The second thing that came to my mind was, what kind of 19-year-old guy does this? What is he, some kind of preacher or something? And the third thing that happened is I remember waves of fear starting at my head and going all the way down my body Something is desperately wrong with me, and I'm not ready for Jesus to come. I hope he doesn't come. I remember thinking that. I hope he doesn't come. That was the beginning of God working in my life. Because it's easier when you have people around you. Okay? Now let's just say something else. What if you don't? What if you don't? Some of you have had a spouse that has passed away. It's difficult, isn't it? Difficult. I hope I never know what it's like. It's difficult. Sometimes you get moved to a new place. You know, my dad was in the army, so we would move. You go to a new place and you feel really, really alone. It's hard. It's hard to do that. So here's the question, okay? For unsaved Greg, wasn't any question in my mind. I wasn't going to praise the Lord. I might curse him or curse the situation, which is kind of the same thing, but I wasn't going to praise him. But what about for saved, Greg? What about for saved you? What are you going to do? You see, it's easy to say, hip, hip, hooray, three cheers for Jesus when everything's going well, but what about the other times? And what if you're lonely while you're going through them? I think about... Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for they are with me. And I've got all my friends, and it's a party, and we're really having a great time and victory. It's not what he said. He said, For thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what it sounds like to me? David felt very alone in that valley except for the presence of the Lord. And then the presence of the Lord was not, hey, David, you can make it. Isn't this awesome? You know what he got? A rod and a staff. He got hit every once in a while. He got yanked back with the crook of that staff whenever he started going astray. And David said, that comforts me because I know you're here. You're not letting me stray. You're not letting me fall over a cliff. You're not letting me get eaten by the wolves. You know, I don't think I praise God for that very often. I don't think I praise God thinking today that I drove uh, on the highway today and I'm here tonight. Some people didn't make it home, right? I think about the fact that Monday I let them stick a needle in my arm and they ran a thing that went all the way to my heart. And I got through with it and I'm here and I'm standing up. I promise you there were some people who didn't make it through some of the procedures you and I have had. I think about, you know, when they tell us flu season is coming. Flu season is coming. I've only had the flu maybe once or twice in my life. But you know what you always hear about? Some people got the flu and they didn't get well. They died. We don't realize just the dangers, toils, and snares the Lord has brought us through as we sing. You with me? We don't realize it. Because what we do is we complain about them. We curse them. And we're so upset about them. And we say, why me? Instead of going, everybody goes through dangerous toils and snares. Everybody has family members and friends 
that pass away. Everybody. That's been going on since Adam, right? Everybody. Every generation. But boy, when it happens to us, it turns into something different. Where's your praise? Where's the praise? Where's the praise? And so there's a warning here that tells us if we put our trust and our spiritual well-being has to do with who's around us and the people that are around us, then what are you going to do when the Lord takes them home? What are you going to do when they move somewhere else? What are you going to do when you are all alone? And the Bible talks to us about something happens to people. He says in verse 4, his spirit departs, that's meaning he dies, he returns to his earth, that means he's going to be buried, and in that very day his plans perish. I was thinking about that, um, his plans perish. How many dreams died today because a body quit functioning and it was taken to a funeral home? How many, if you walk through Rest Haven Cemetery, you'll do like I do. You'll look around there and you go, oh, I know that person. Oh, I did that person's funeral. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. And sometimes you go, has it been that long since they passed? It's kind of a weird thing sometimes. When my brother and I went back to Arkansas earlier this year and uh, I said, let's go by the cemetery. And we went out there. Both of us knew that our mom and our dad were with the Lord wasn't a surprise except that when we looked there and we saw the two tombstones of our parents it was a jolt some of you know what I'm talking about kind of a weird kind of feeling and I think about reading this verse that I just read and thinking about people that are in the cemetery how many ambitions were unfulfilled how many trips weren't taken how many witnesses weren't given? How many prayers ceased to be prayed at that moment? How many things died when that person died? You know what I'm saying? And I thought, boy, that's sad. That's really sad, and it kind of brought me down. And then the Lord reminded me of something else. I'm really glad Hitler didn't live to be a hundred I'm really glad Osama bin Laden didn't leave, live to be a hundred. I'm glad when Adam and Eve sinned, he took them out of the garden and he kept them from the tree of life because I'm glad that evil people's plans die as well. Because there are some times, if we knew the depths of evil and what they had planned, and if they had enough time, if they had enough runway in their life, boy, it would really be a whole lot worse. I got to thinking about that. Don't put your hope in people because they die and things change. And sometimes when it comes to evil, we ought to thank God every day that even evil people, their plans die because things could be a whole lot worse than they are right now. What if evil people never died? And what if a Hitler could get together with a Nero and what if Hitler and Nero could get together with Saddam Hussein? And what if they could get together with, and you just start naming it, and they could all have a big committee meeting about what type of terrorist attacks 
or what kind of genocide they were going to do. I'm glad things come to an end because it means that evil has to come to an end as well. And that's why you can't put your trust in man at all. Good or bad, right or wrong, you just better not do it because they don't have the ability to put anything into your life that's going to be worthwhile. So let's ask this question. How many dreams, plans, ambitions, and goals lie dormant in the cemetery? Let's think about that. And how many unjust, evil, and sinister persecutions lie dormant in the grave? That ought to cause us to go, thank you, Lord, for the eternity we're going to have in heaven where there'll be no sin and there'll be no evil and there'll be no heartaches, nothing like that at all. And so many times we get disappointed because we don't have heaven on earth. And understand, God never really promised us that, did he? Number three, when we talk about praise, we want to have a satisfying faith. I mean, folks, if you're not satisfied in your walk with Jesus, in the atonement and what he's done for you, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, in his inerrant and fallible word, in the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ, if you can't ever get satisfied with that, then what kind of a witness are you ever going to have? And so the psalmist talks here about happy is he who has the God of Jacob. Now that means you're going back a long ways. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is an intergenerational God who doesn't change and who still keeps his covenant. And he has the God of Jacob for his help. Really? I can have the same God that helped out Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and those kind of guys? Yeah, same God, folks. Same God, same power. Same covenants. He says, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. Notice the Lord, his God. It's a personal walk with God. Are you walking with the God you say you believe in? Verse 6, the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. Gee, what did Jesus say was truth? In John 17, he said, your word is truth. God keeps his truth, his word forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. So if you're feeling like you're oppressed or you see oppression in the world, it's only temporary. God's going to fix it one of these days. Who gives food to the hungry. I hope you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. But it's also good to know that through our mission 405 and things like that, we're able to uh, be God's instrument of giving food to the hungry. That's a, you're, you're a fulfillment of promise. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. And the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Boy, I remember when I was in chains. And I remember when I was in spiritual prison and spiritual darkness. And I told you a little bit about it. And I remember the day in 1982 when I was trying to argue with God and argue with other people and argue with a sermon that I had heard. And I was talking to the man that was my pastor at the time, asking him some questions, kind of being a snot-nosed skeptic about some of the things that had been said. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, Greg, are you asking for yourself or someone else? And I broke because I was talking about me. And I walked into the auditorium and knelt at the steps on that side of the pulpit. And there I poured my heart out to God and the burden of sin was lifted because the blood of Jesus made me clean and the Holy Spirit came to live within me. And I was not just somebody who knew the right answers going through the motions. I had life Life in Christ. And I had the forgiveness of sins. And boy, what a glorious, glorious moment. Because that God who was just the God or a God or just God became 
my God. My God. The God of Jacob. Blessed is and happy is the man who has the God of Jacob for his help. And notice here it says, the one who has the Lord, his God. And the God here that we get down to verse 8, he opened the eyes of the blind. And boy, was I ever blind. He raises those who are bowed down. Boy, did I, was I ever bowed down under the weight of sin. And the Lord loves the righteous. For the first time, that moment when I trusted Christ and confessed him as Lord, I felt loved by God for the first time. It wasn't just theory anymore. I saw a t-shirt one time, and it's kind of rude, but it says, Jesus loves you. And on the back it says, but then again, he loves everybody. Right? And uh, wow, somebody's really cynical when they wrote that, right? But I remember when I trusted Christ for the first time, I had the assurance that God loved me. Not just because, you know, well, he loves everybody, no big deal. No, no, it was a personal covenantal love that he put upon me and the love of Christ was shed abroad in my heart. Do you remember that? You remember that? I knew that Jesus had died for me. I knew that Jesus had called me. I knew that Jesus was indwelling me through the Holy Spirit. I knew that Jesus had written my name in the Lamb's book of life. I knew that Jesus had prepared a, a place for me in the Father's house, according to John 14. And for the first time, I realized all of this is mine. He has given that to me. Why? My eyes were opened. I wasn't blind anymore. And the Lord watches over the strangers. He sure did me, and he brought me in and made me no more a stranger. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, and, uh, but the way of the wicked, I love this, he turns upside down. They're not going to get away with it forever. One of these days it's going to be fixed. So let's go to the next slide. Think about this. How many Christians are derailed because they magnify the temporary and downplay the eternal? Ooh, Mark, that just made me think. I remember you talking to one time a group where I was listening to you and you put a number line on there and you had infinity. It goes infinity that way and infinity that way. And then you said, here's the dot and here's where we are. Are you living for the line or are you living for the point, for the dot? And that's what we're saying here, folks. Too many Christians focus upon the temporary 70, 80, 90, maybe even 100 years of your life. And you look at the problems, the burdens, the trials, and all of that. And you forget to praise Him for His eternity. And the eternity that you're going to share with Him. And one day, as the old song says, it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. And they believe in the empty boast of the enemy. And they doubt the promises of God. Don't do that. And that's going to bring us up to this last thing. What about a sustaining conviction here? The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Folks, we're in a political season right now. And let me tell you, I don't know who's going to be elected president or governor or congress or whatever is going on. But I can tell you this, the Lord reigns. And presidents may get eight years, but the Lord reigns forever right? Kings and tyrants and oppressors, they may have a lifetime when they rule over nations of the world and where they oppress their own people for their own benefit, but it's temporary. It's limited. One of these days, they're going to pass off the scene. And when they pass off the scene, here's what I'm going to tell you, and you know in your heart this is true. 
the Lord will still be on his throne. And when everything falls apart, and when everything comes to the end, and when every king is deposed, and when all those who are lost are in the lake of fire forever, what's going to happen? We're going to know one thing. I don't understand all of that, but I do know this one thing. Jesus will still be the king of kings, and he'll still be the Lord of lords, and it'll be that way 10 million years from now. It'll be that 10 billion, 10 trillion years from now, and we'll still have just as many reasons to praise the Lord. So what I'm saying is, what are you going through? What's happening in your life? What's happening in the lives of people that we love? A lot of bad stuff sometimes. And if you focus on that, depression, sadness, emptiness, discouragement, doubt, fears, all of those kind of things are going to rule your life. But if you will choose to look upon the Lord and do what the psalmist said, because the conclusion is simply this, hallelujah, praise the Lord. If you do that, Corey Ten Boom said, if you look to the world, you'll be depressed and distressed. But if you look to the Lord, you'll be blessed. That's where we look. The writer of Hebrews says, we're to run the race with diligence. And we're to look where? At the author and the finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you, take take this personal. Take this literal. And do what the psalmist said at the very beginning. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, then have a talk with your soul. And tell your soul, soul, you better get in line. Because this is where we're going. We're going to praise the Lord. Do you remember the song the Imperials did back in 1979? When you were up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams. And your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes. When you feel the urge within you to give in to earthly fears, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He'll work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they'll drop powerless behind you when you praise the Lord. Amen? So let's do that. Let's do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? And would you think of some situation in your life that is discouraging to you? Would you think of something in your life that's like a mountain you wish that would just go away? Would you think about something in your life where it feels like you're being stalked by a lion and you can't seem to get away from it? Would you think about those things? It haunts you. It scares you. It discourages you. It intimidates you. And would you just name that before the Lord and say, Oh, Father, this situation, this person, this incident, I can't get away from it. And I'm wrapped in fear, just as if I were wrapped in a log chain right now. And the enemy is trying to padlock that chain on me. But I'm going to take the key of faith and unlock that and let the chains drop. And how are you going to do that? Start praising the Lord for and in that situation. My situation's tough, but Jesus is Lord. My heart is lonely and aching, but Jesus is Lord and the friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
I've got some things looming in front of me that I don't like and I don't understand. But Jesus is Lord over all of those things. And if you think about everybody you looked at on the prayer list tonight, good night. We got a long list of people. So what are we going to do? Pray a timid prayer of, oh God, please help them. Or are we going to praise the Lord? Trust Him and proclaim Him. Mm. Think of all the reasons you have to praise the Lord tonight. And do it. Father, as we conclude our time together, we want to stop and pray. And we think about the things that we ought to give you praise for that are just the easy things. Um, I thank you personally that I didn't have to have anything done when I had that angiogram. We prayed about that. I thank you, Father, that Bryn Andrews is at home in Tulsa safely after his open-heart surgery in St. Louis. Thank you for that, Lord. That could have gone bad in so many ways. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that Becky Pig is doing well after her hip replacement today. Lord, we have some other things, though, that we don't quite understand why people are going through some tough times. We want to pray for Steve Elkins tonight because he would be here, and I'm sure he's watching us right now, and we want to pray for him. He has been through so much, so much. And so our hearts tonight as we think about Brother Steve, and he's not the only one, our hearts are filled with praise for people who serve you even when life is hard and difficult and goes ways that they don't want it to go. We praise you for faithful people in the midst of trials. We praise you for people that even as they suffer, they're able to witness for you. And even as they suffer, sometimes their own family members are touched in a way that they never would be touched by a sermon. We praise you that you are working. Lord, as I think about all of the attention that is being given to you because of somebody who was a former reprobate named Kanye West. And now all of a sudden, people all over the nation are talking about Jesus. It just reminds us that you can take, as Papa Sam used to say, a crooked stick and hit a straight lick with it. And I pray, Lord, that whatever situation comes up, we would always turn it to Jesus. We would always turn it to the eternal. We would always turn it to a reason to praise you. And I pray, Father, that you would straighten out our country. I pray, Lord, that you would send a gospel witness to the nations of the world, to tribes and tongues we've never even heard of. I pray, Father, that you would do a work in places like Mexico where Brother Robert is serving so faithfully. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring an end to the tyranny of the cartels. And I pray that the gospel would triumph in Mexico 
I pray, Father, that wherever we find injustice and oppression, may Christian people rise up for the glory of Jesus Christ to speak against it, to do something about it, to feed the hungry and to help the orphans. I pray, Father, that we would never back down from those kind of things. But please, Lord, don't let it stop there. May it turn into a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that in our own church, our light would shine around the world. And the light that shines the farthest necessarily has to be brightest at home. Lord, we want you to save our own children. We want you to save our own grandchildren. We want you to save these communities that are right around the church to save people and to use us. And thank you for seeds we've been able to plant recently. And thank you for outreach we've been able to do. And we want to do more of it. But Lord, would you give us fruit from what we've already done. So that whether it's here or whether it's in the farthest point around the world. Jesus is receiving the glory that he deserves. And lives are being changed. Praise the Lord for who he is. and What he has done what he is doing, and what he will do. Our God reigns. And you ready, church? And Jesus is and always will be Lord. Amen.